Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Sprites of Life podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Chris. And I'm Don. And today we've got another awesome episode for all you to listen to. Um, So we're just, we're not going to even like do a bit for this one. The Pokemon DLC came out. Of course, we're going to talk about it. No bits? No bit. We don't need a bit. We don't need, it's the DLC. They know what they're here for. It's on the freaking banner for the YouTube video. It's in the title. We're going to talk DLC about it. The DLC is the bit. Okay, fine. Fair, fair, fair. No bits. There's no, no need bits. for the bit for this one. It's the DLC. It's already been out for more than a week. Let's talk about it. But, sorry, let's do some news first, and then we'll talk about it. And that, that sound good? Yes. News time. Sweet. Awesome. Cool. All right. So, Don, are you familiar with a creature known as the Tasmanian Tiger? Yes, I am. Also known as the Thylacine. Yes, it is. I actually couldn't didn't know how to pronounce that, so thank you. Um, recently, there's been a lot of talk about trying to bring back extinct animals, and they might have picked up another way of doing it. So, for the first time ever, they were able to decode RNA that was recovered from a Tasmanian tiger. Now, I would say, have you seen the 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 uh, only? I think it's like the the last uh, known video of the thylacine. Yes, I have seen. Didn't they colorize it recently? Yes, they did. It was very depressing. Yeah. Long story short, it went extinct because sheep farmers blamed it for killing their sheep, even though it couldn't have eaten their sheep. Apparently, its dentition was off. But they found this old specimen preserved in, like, a museum at room temperature. No one went back to this museum for, like, a while just to go looking around what they had. They found a good enough one that they could extract RNA from it. And the RNA was semi-intact. So they were able to actively learn how the cells and how everything else could be coded. That is very cool. It is very cool. Although, admittedly, it's one of those extinction plans that I'm almost okay with. Because, like, you know with the Mammoth Project, they have to get an Indian elephant and put it all together. With this one, they have to do the same thing. I mean, the difference is... We've actually had these things in some human's lifetime. So it's not terribly off the mark, you know? Yeah, it was like in the 30s, I believe. And um, I, I think they are relatively closely related to the Tasmanian devil. I know they're both like marsupial carnivores. I'm not sure exactly how close Yes, they it are. wasn't the Tasmanian devil that they were going to work it with. It's called the fat-tailed Dunart, and that is its closest living relative at the moment. So I'm going to well, take a look at this. For, good for that guy. Good for the – holy heck! Okay, you're going to want to look at what the fat-tailed Dunart looks like. Is it a silly little guy? Like, this thing is its just a little guy. Look, it's a mouse creature. I mean, obviously, it's a marsupial, but I'm like, okay, I have questions about how this is going to work. But hopefully, you know, things don't, things hopefully work out for this creature because, oh, oh, that is not even close to what it should be. Oh, that is a, that is just a little guy. That is indeed just a little guy. Um, on to gaming news. I know the DLC just dropped, but um, there was a couple of gaming things that popped up recently. Um, Fortnite owes a bunch of people millions of dollars. Apparently, um, they applied. Um, they were found being pretty scummy and like getting kids to buy all the stuff that they didn't need. And uh, yeah, now they have to pay up and start refunding people for all the cosmetics the kids bought without their parents' permission. That's good. Yeah, I mean, get it gets balanced out. Uh, the other thing, and I wanted to ask you about, is um, what are your thoughts on like console exclusives? In terms of games or like little add-on things? Uh games. I mean, I don't know. On one side, it's kind of like I feel like that's always been sort of the climate, and like you think if you about like console exclusives, like that's the overwhelming majority of sort of Nintendo games. I feel like especially. Yeah, that's true. Um, the one thing that recently came up, and it's not been like officially confirmed by Microsoft, is that the new Elder Scrolls game will be an Xbox PC exclusive. I have heard that. Yeah, that is definitely one of the rumors. That's why I wanted to kind of put it at the end of real news, because that is something, I don't know. There's some games to me that you should not make console exclusive. I, I don't know. I don't know if I really agree with that. I feel like it's um, it's part of like the climate of gaming and i feel like that's um yeah and i don't know it's like maybe it depends on the publisher and stuff i mean you've got like bloodborne for playstation and stuff like that you've got obviously the overall like basically every nintendo game is only for nintendo consoles hmm. yeah i don't know maybe i'm just being petty because i'm it's the one time is against me but i mean sony is no 
no blameless character in this either. They've made Spider-Man exclusive, and that was kind of a bummer. Yeah. I mean, given how many Americans, like, um, the Xbox is like a Western console, and denying a Western console one of the greatest characters in Western fiction just feels kind of a bummer. Doesn't oh, what do you right. mean? Which character? Spider-Man. Oh, yeah, but I mean, like I said, I, I feel like having exclusive characters, maybe if they're just, um, I don't know, maybe if they're, like, native to that console. Like, Halo's obviously exclusive to Xbox, but, like, yeah. it's always been exclusive to Xbox. But, like, I guess I could see, like, being frustrated by it. But I don't know. It doesn't really bother me that much. It's just sort of how it is. Yeah. I mean, Baldur's Gate 3, I've, I'll be honest. When I'm not playing the DLC for the new Pokemon, I'm playing Baldur's Gate. And I'm glad that came out, though. That was great. Oh, my gosh. That was so good. All right. So, with all that out of the way, let's go ahead and talk about the DLC. We're, we're not even going to... We're not even going to stick a linger on to this. We're just going to go right to it. With So with the new DLC and all the Pokemon that came out with it, before we get to like the lore and all that, which Pokemon are both of you excited to see come back? Oh, that's a good question. From the uh, from the DLC that were yeah, added? From yeah, the D- that have been allowed in. The ones who have been allowed back. I am excited that Ninetales, specifically uh, Alolan Ninetales, is coming back because one Ninetales is just a classic Pokemon, but Alola Ninetales, the ice fairy is, I always loved that Pokemon. I love a good hail setter and hail might actually snow. be. What, what'd you say? It's snow now. Oh, sorry. Was, was hail too violent? <laughs> well, no, I mean, well, it doesn't do damage now. Okay. I guess. And it, and it buffs. It, it does a different thing now in its defense. I get that just seems so weird to say snow. Yeah, well, now it's snow. It doesn't do damage, but it boosts the defensive ice type, so it's better. Okay. okay. I, I I understand the feeling, though. We've been saying hail for over 20 years. <laughs> yeah, yes. so either way, Alolan Nine, Ninetales, specifically Alolan Ninetales coming back, I'm excited about. I mean, is this because you wanted to pair it up with Articuno? It's really good with Articuno. It's, it's not not because of that. <laughs> okay. It's weird because I also picked, like, there's two of my favorite Pokemon of all time came back, and I don't know, and I, I don't put them on my teams as much as I used to. Yanmaga and Mamoswine. I'm so happy to see you them You guys back. are literally taking every Pokemon I was going to talk about, so that's cool. <laughs> there's a there's there's one big one left, on. There's some good ones. I mean, yeah, okay, these are for, like, heart reasons. When I first started learning there was a competitive scene in Pokemon, I loved Yanmega with all my heart because he would just go fast. He was big and just go fast. And Mamoswine was one of the first Pokemon I ever EV and IV trained. So I feel good seeing him back. And it's nice to see that he has snow now to keep him alive. Yanmega, I don't know how useful you are, but I love you, you giant mutant dragonfly. But you're cool. You're cool. Um, I yeah, it's Yon Megas. It's got speed boost hypnosis, so that's something you can do. Mm. Um, throat spray. Oh, throat spray boosts. Um, what's it? What's the move? Um, bug buzz. Bug buzz is a sound move, so it works mm. off throat spray. So that's cool. I like Yon Mega a lot. I think Mammoth Swine's really interesting with Terra. It's got thick fat. It's got uh interesting stats. I mean, I think it kind of wants to Terra a lot. There's a lot of Rillaboom and Urshifu, but um. I do want to explore Mamoswine's um, viability. I think it's interesting. Um, since you guys took ones uh, that I was all also excited about, um, let me find. If you Terra out of, like, if you Terra fire on Mamo, do you lose the snow protection? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you got to give a shout out as well to Shift Tree. He got- yeah. So, I, yeah. So, um, anyway. So, oh, yeah. We had two um, Shift Tree and who else got buff? Napoleon. Empoleon, yeah, huge. So actually, yeah, I'll say one, I was excited to get my Lodic back. I've used my Lodic on and off and competitively since like my first couple seasons in like 2014 and 15. So I'm excited to have my Lodic back, but we have a new competitive and competitive water type in Empoleon who finally stopped having Defiant as its hidden ability when it has zero physical moves and a bad attack stat. Um, so with competitive Empoleon, I think is really interesting. Especially right now when we have, like, a lot of teams have Landris and Fluttermane. And the being boosted by Landris and slapping Fluttermane with Flash Cannon is, is pretty sweet. And Ensign. And, yeah, Ensign will be back soon. Um, other than that, um, having Poly, Poly, uh, Polytoad back is another Rain Setter is cool. And I think Weezing is going to be allowed, you know, I think there's going to be some interesting Weezing teams with Neutralizing Gas being how it is. 
Greninja being back. Eh. You're not excited about the frog? The frog got nerfed. I'm not talking about competitive. The frog is just cool. It is a cool frog, but they kind of got rid of... Didn't they get rid of, like, the battle Greninja? That was always a one-off thing. That was never, like, yeah. Yeah, I know it was a one-off thing. I still kind of wish it stuck around, you know. I have... I downloaded the uh, DL, the uh, demo so I can get as many Ash Greninjas as I want. I mean... It goes without saying the DLC is pretty cool. The thing I love about it is that it's the first time in like years that the poke uh, Game Freak has been allowed to talk about its own culture in detail. Like, if you think about it, since like Generation Five, they've always had to focus on other re- focus on other regions and had sprinkles of Japanese stuff to it. But this is the first time since Generation Four they can be like, "Oh yeah, this is Japan. This is our home. Let's go ahead and show it right." And they did a real good job with those details. Like they really, they nailed it. They did a really great job. We'll give a minor shout out to uh, Legends Arceus. Yeah. Legends Arceus was like, but that's like ancient Japan. It's, yeah. Like, yeah. As I said, not, the, I, I get what you're saying. There was, I, I, I'll, I'll give it, I'll just shit, give it a quick shout out. Now, for those who don't know, the reason I consider myself like pretty cool with this, I got to live in Japan for two years during the pandemic. So I got to actually experience the culture in a way that only a few people are. And I was super lucky to get to do it. Even during the pandemic, you get to learn some cool stuff. One of the things that people think is like a stereotype, but is an actual thing. There are rice fields everywhere. Literally any block you can find them. Like it's outside of the major cities, of course. But if you go like to the outskirts of the city, you'll start seeing like some of the suburbs have like grass planted in them. My neighborhood, like next to the subway station, had grass fields right by it. Like they grow a ton of grass and as uh, as much rice as they can in that grassland. It's amazing just how all, a, they're able to grow it all. So yeah, anywhere you go in Japan, you'll probably find a rice field. Did you see small. people coming to like collect the rice, like in the cities? Yeah, you do. You have people who who own the land. They'll you'll see it get go through its crop rotation. You'll see them planting it. You'll see them growing. You'll see them taking it and leaving the soil and then doing it again that's over and over i mean they also got the little details right because that that little store you go to like the snack vendors for your items that's also a thing you see in rural japan like you see those small little candy stores like that's a that's awesome that they added that that's such a nice touch i mean it also helps it, it helps to understand how weird the culture can be because over 90 percent of japan lives in an urban like city only about nine to eight percent live in rural towns, and that that's not very many anymore. Like there are only, a, but even the small towns are like connected with train lines and buses, so it's not like they're too terribly disconnected. It's not like the United States where you have to drive everywhere and you don't have a way of getting anywhere otherwise. So with them, um, Japanese small towns, they are currently dying off. Um, a lot of rural towns around the world are, but it's because the kids don't want to stay in the farmsteads or the deserted little town they want to go to a city they want to get a better job they want to use the education they got and it's become such a huge problem that in japan they have abandoned houses like that have been abandoned for decades and then random youtubers show up and buy them and just try and live in rural japan and they usually hate it how long how long do they usually last living in rural japan I don't think they last long. Like, you'll see the videos of them building the house and, like, getting ready, but you never see any follow-up videos of, like, the people living there for, like, a year or two. Like, you don't see many follow-up videos. So I have to assume they just kind of fell off it. Because, again, this one of the things the games really encapsulate with one of its new characters is that plenty of people in rural towns don't want you there. <laughs> you are the outsider. You are... It's worse if you're a foreigner, but even for other Japanese people, oh... He's a city dweller. He's a city slicker. What does he know about living out here? He's used to his fancy Tokyo and Osaka. You see that attitude, and you'll see it in reverse. You'll see the, oh, look at the dumb hick who came here to the city. Like, that's a, it's not an American thing. That's very much another person thing. That's other countries, too. The urban-rural divide is very real. It is very real. So I love that the first thing this Pokemon trainer does is, uh, yeah, I'm going to make you eat dirt. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> bet. You got it. Someone brought their shiny Arceus to that fight in the first part of the game. <laughs> it's like, okay, God, show her the power of urbanization. I think Arceus is shiny locked. Oh, maybe it's not, not, not in Brilliant Diamond, Shining Pearl. Okay, I was going to be like, witchery. <laughs> <laughs> Witchcraft. 
Lucas, you didn't bring, you didn't have your Arceus do that because you left it plowing the fields in the past. You're darn right, I did. That Pokemon is still in Legends Arceus. He did not send me home, so he's working the fields the rest of his life. I don't care. He's staying there. But okay, so so the, this DLC takes place largely around like a big festival. What what can you tell us about the the festivals that happen in those towns or Japan as a whole? There are tons of them. Like, you can't miss them all because it's just like the United States where, like, there's a random, like, day in the city and they have a state fair. But they each have their own unique vibes. There are different dances and there are different foods. One of my favorite touches was that they had a lowland shaved ice at the food courts. And as always, the mochi, which everyone knows. But, like, Hawaiian ice is, like, a big thing there. Think of it like a snow cone in a cup covered in, like, sugar and, like, the sugary liquid, but also sweet and condensed milk and fruit. Oh, so good. If you ever just want to just make a summer better, take a nice cold can of sweet and condensed milk and dump that on your ice. It is amazing. Sounds Loved like, it. It sounds like that's what some of the players in Yokohama needed when it was like 100 plus degrees out with humidity. Oh, yeah, no, those they, they were. Yeah, they should have realized that. No one really talks about how hot Japan gets. Like, no, like, honestly, I was surprised when I when I was seeing those posts about it. Yeah, no, they weren't prepared. They weren't built for it. Um, the one, like, to, obviously we're going to probably focus less on, like, the cultural aspect, but I do want to focus on the guardians that are in the game. Uh, spoiler alert, they're not that nice in the game, but in real life... You, mean, you mean the poison types are bad? Yeah. Next, I'll tell you that the dark type means evil. Will that blow your mind, too? There's only... I can't, Okay, sorry. Quick divergence. How many quote-unquote good poison types are there? Because I can only think of two. Are we counting the anime? No. We're, we're counting just let general up, Pokemon. Let me pull up a list of ones that are just like good little fellas. Yeah. I would like, say ones that are objectively good. Not ones that are like... Neutral? Neutral. Okay. Objectively good. Okay. Um, aha. 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 Um, uh, Nido um, King and Nido Queen. They're good parents. They protect their kids. Okay, oh, okay they're good okay. to, they're good to their... isn't Gal doesn't Galar Weezing like clean the environment? I was I was thinking Galar Weezing and Alolan Muck. Yep, they're objectively good. I'll give okay, you that. Okay, well that's because you've never had to fight minimized power of alchemy, Alolan Muck. <laughs> this is true. It's bad. It's bad. <laughs> Bulbasaur is a cute little guy. Bet. I I would say Venusaur. If the Venusaur line is neutral. No, yeah, bull crap! Look I at Bulbasaur. Look at him. They that are they don't they are not they are not uh do gooders, they are just neutral. They they simply are. How dare you? That is blasphemous. I no, disagree. I don't disagree. But you, you've made a fair enough point that they're not like Does it, the, doesn't one of them make all make plants grow or something, which that seems like a nice thing. And that's Torterra, I believe. Torterra makes the plants grow. And it's not poison. Uh, anyway. Yes, yeah, so poison types not always so great. Uh, the three guardian statues, the ones that they're worshiping around, those are based on the Inari Neo statues. Neo frolics like a small child. That's nice. Which one? Neo Lego. Say it frolics like a small child. Neo Lego. Neo Lego is good because it brainwashes you into thinking it's good. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge Neo Lego fan. I wish we, I wish we had Neo Lego back right now. I want Neo Lego back. He's a good boy. He's a very good boy. In any case, the statues representing Inari. The fox spirit, that's what they're based on. So if you've ever played Ghost of Tsushima, um, the fox uh, statues you see around in that game, they're based on those statues. And depending on where you are, um, they can symbolize a couple of different things. Uh, the big thing that I love was the red cloths around them. Like when you see those uh, statues, they symbolize divinity. And the game has a really nice touch of giving all of those markings of sorts to the uh the trio that's in that game i mean granted they're all evil markings but it is it's worth noting uh but of course um the the star of the show has to be our little oni friend which we'll get to at the end um the ogres of japan and their history and lore is pretty nuts but they do carry a ton of myths with them and usually they are the villains in the story they are almost always the villains they are almost always the bad guys the one example I have that they are not the bad guys is the story of the Red Ogre, which is a children's story about how an ogre who is um, scared, who wants to be friends with the village, has his one friend attack the village. 
so he can defend the village and they would be friends with him. But then he loses his blue ogre friend, which is really That's sad. Kind of like Ogre Pond. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's similar. We'll get to that because there are there is a real major story connected to it. Like they took one of the biggest Japanese myths. But like I said, the most interesting part to me wasn't the new Pokemon. It was that attention to detail of like, hey, we get to show off our, our culture in a way most people don't talk about. They don't talk about rural Japan. You don't talk about how the festivals are there. You don't like remember how interesting this culture is. Keep in mind, these aren't like the state fair in the United States that have been going on for only a few decades. These festivals, some of them have been going on for centuries. But do they have butter sculptures? <clears throat> no, they have ice sculptures in Hokkaido. In any case, it is interesting that they um, that they did add so much. I love it. But of course, we're not just here to talk about lore. We got some Pokemon to talk about. Now, we all picked one of the three to talk about. Uh, Chris, you get the dog. Have fun. I do. I do have to say real quick that I feel I I very much appreciate that the DLC feels so far feels more in line with the main storyline of the game because at this point in what sword and shield we had isle of armor and that just kind of it was kind of like a one-off adventure go train get your urshifu punch everything to death with the the loyal three and their toxic chain necklaces or whatever it still very much feels a part of the like the treasure hunting vibe that they were driving in 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 the main games of scarlet and violet and I think feel ties with the with the ruinous Pokemon and and all that. So I just I appreciate that. Did you all get that vibe from from the uh, DLC as well? My vibe was that wow, it's running better. I'm sorry, I'm still pretty ticked about that. That was my my entire focus was like finding how glitchy it would get, and it ran slightly better. Okay, so kicking it off, we have the first not so good boy of the Pokemon world. Uh, we are finally balancing the scales between the rude cats and rude dogs. There's been a very much one-sided representation of of the uh, sassiness of the pets that we welcome into our homes. Uh, Lucas, you might disagree with that. <laughs> no, actually, in this case, the dog species they picked to be a bad boy, I'm 100% behind it. Go right ahead. So we have Okie Dogie. Okie- First of all, love the name... I know it's it's a divisive topic. I love the names on these. I think I've never wanted to nickname my creature faster. <laughs> I think they're fun and playful. Okie dokie, aka Okie dokie, based off of the Shiba Inu of uh, that that are you find in Japan. And Lucas, have you had a lot of interactions with them? Yeah, in a way, they are the number one dog in Japan for a reason, and that reason is that they are one of the only truly Japanese breeds. They've been through a lot. So at first they were like bred as hunting dogs and they descended from a Chubu, the center of Japan and were, but then got bred into with new Western dogs in the 1800s. And so they lost some of that stock, but then it got worse because in world war two, they were almost completely wiped out due to, you know, contamination and like all the other things going on with war. Only a few purebred lines survived, and apparently they succeeded because today it is still there today. It is still out there in Japan as of now. My interactions with them have not been great. They're, they're, what I hear is that they are very loyal to their owners. Yes, there are famous stories about do- a dog in Japan that when its master died, it just kept waiting by the train for is him that, to come like, back. Hachi, right? Yes, that's it. What was it again? I think Hachi was that dog. If yeah, right. there's a statue of him in Tokyo. People come to visit. He's in a lot of it. The statue's in a lot of video games and anime, too. You ever see uh, Jurassic Bark on Futurama? Yes. Uh, oh, we don't. I don't want to feel tonight. I don't want to feel that sad. <laughs> That's what it's based on. That's what it's drawn from. But the reason this dog is, makes me feel a little weird is that they are super loyal to, like, one person, but... That one person better know how to train a dog. These are not a starter breed, but everyone I met in Japan starts with them. Like, it's it's the dog you're supposed to get. It's like culturally, hey, you need a small dog. Here are one of the major options. Take a Shiba Inu. I think it's, yeah, I think it's one of the six native Japanese breeds. 
Yes, there are a couple of different ones, but they all kind of relate to the Shiba. They are very stubborn. They are temperamental. They are very much like a dog that's smart enough to know, yes, I told you told me to sit. I just don't want to. Yeah. And it's just one of those things. Like so many times that I was walking home from work, I would see people walking their Shibas and they would have to drag them away from other Shibas trying to kill each other. Or they were trying to tug at the leash and rip at it, which is just it showed that the animal wasn't properly trained, which, you know, it stinks because you do. I know some people who've trained Shibas like they're not. There's no such thing to me as a bad breed of dog. It's just that this one takes so much more effort than people realize. It's like the people who got Dalmatians because of 101 Dalmatians. They they got it because the culture told them to. It's like starting with a Gyarados instead of the Magikarp. Pretty much. It's like they don't have enough badges to train them. That's even more like with an Akita, I guess, too, which is just like... I think they're actually not as close of a breed to Shibas despite visually, but they're just like a a much bigger, chi- a much, much bigger Shiba. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but originally they were hunting dogs, so they do yeah, have a ton of energy. Yeah, translates to, like, little brush dog, I think. Yeah, brushwood br- dog. Brushwood dog, yeah. 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 Still, I mean, the fact that they made it evil shows that they understand that the poorly behaved Shiba is a pain in the butt. When I worked at the uh, the doggy daycare, uh, we had a couple Shibas that came in regularly. And they, they were nice, like, don't get me wrong, but they, like, they, they clearly got a little bit of joy from, like, causing problems. Like, one of them would just, like, like he would he would do it th- like it, it was almost like running off cat software like he would come up to you to get like pet and then he would scurry like a foot away whenever you would try um and then he would also jump up and bounce on the windowsill which was very impressive um but like also he would like antagonize another dog or take their toy and then jump up and bounce on the windowsill yeah no it's a dog running on cat software the uh well okidogi was a small dog but then it found the uh that chain around its neck and according to the decks that uh, basically stimulated the, the worst aspects of Okidoki, but basically gave it all massive muscles and made it, took it from being the bullied to the bully. Yeah, I mean, it, this, this thing is yoked. This thing is like really, really buff looking. I, I like that it says it can pulverize anything with its chain that it swings around its neck, because that just makes me think of those uh, skippets. <laughs> <laughs> wow wow right deep, like that's deep just... cut deep cut but yeah <laughs> that's just all i think about and then it's gonna like miss and it's gonna hit its leg and it's gonna hurt for a couple weeks uh... <laughs> there are two things a child fears for his ankle more than anything else a skip it and a razor scooter <laughs> exactly but no like i mean that's a, you find that with all of them that we'll get into with the with the other ones but basically like these the chains, the toxic chains amplified like the worst aspects of the quote unquote loyal three. Yeah, it's, it's they're jerks. Like if you spoiler alert for the DLC, they everyone thinks they're great, but they're not. And that's why they're worshipped is that there was a, the story went down from hundreds of years ago and people mixed up who was bad and who was good. I, it, it was not a game of telephone. They, they got it wrong right at the jump. Yeah, it was. It's still. But then it got worse. <laughs> true true very yeah true. but it's a it's cool i don't know it's competitive usage because i don't know it's got some weird stats um but... okie of the three i mean i would say i've only i haven't really tried all of them that much okie dogie's like um I've, I've been doing some stuff with the assault vest set actually on a on a hail team or snow team i should say but um not running toxic chain guard dog is like not a bad ability at all yeah um it's basically defiant but only for intimidate and you can't get forced out by um other uh, by like attacks or other abilities, which it's it's niche. But I guess if someone's running like red card or something or roar, yeah, I, I'm not really sure how well it is with toxic chain, but um, it's got it's got a nice move pool. It's got like all the elemental punches and stuff. I'm I, I'm kind of a fan of it, honestly. I played a few games with it. My friend was hyping it up. Shout out to to Mike. Does it get any good moves? Um, it gets gunk shot, which is good. Uh, poison jab, superpower, crunch. Uh, thunder, thunder, fang. it gets the elemental fangs. I think it also gets the elemental punches. It gets are, all the punches. It's the punches. It gets gunk shot. I, I, I've been using an assault vest set with, um, drain punch, ice punch, poison jab and knockoff, I think. Um, but you, it's got, it's got a good, it's got a pretty good move pool. I mean, poison fighting is a cool typing. All the, I think all of their typings are pretty cool. They're not like, they're not super common, but yeah, they're pretty cool. 
We don't get a lot of uh, legendary poisons. It's this is the second poison fighting ever, I think, after the Crow Gun Klein, right? Yeah. So with the that with the dog taken care of, I got the monkey. <laughs> Mojo Jojo. Mo- Mojo Jojo. Stop. Stop because you're right. No, it, it's that bad. So whereas uh, Okie Dogie got its uh, muscles buffed up, Monkey Dory got its brain powered up. So because it fell in the chemical X. Yeah, it felt the chemical X fell on him. Now he's got an angst against three superpowered kindergartners. Monkey Dory was born. He's got a Monkey Dory is just wearing a visor. Monkey Dory is a typical primate. It is way too smart for its own good and has a sick sense of humor. I am one of those people who work with animals who will not work with primates because they scare me. A lemur broke my GoPro. Lemurs are primates that run on squirrel software, but. These guys, no. Monkeys scare the crap out of me. But I, I will take him. He's pretty cool. So Monkey Dory is a psychic type, and it's a smart psychic ape. We've already kind of done this already with Oranguru. But un- unlike Oranguru, who uses its like intelligence to learn, Monkey Dory decided to use it to torture and make people dizzy, which is a little messed up. But... It is based on a real monkey found throughout Japan. In fact, it's the only monkey found in Japan, and that is the macaque. So the uh, macaques in Japan are incredibly intelligent. They have especially been uh, noted for their tool usage. Um, one story found that a scientist uh, back in the 50s would throw sweet potatoes to them to see what they would do. And within the span of less than a decade, one of them learned how to wash its food, and then it showed all the others how to wash their food too. So either they like the taste of the salt water from the ocean they were washing in, or they were trying to get the sand off. It was a, something they picked up and kept on doing. Or they just really got into food safety. Yeah, it's one of the two. And either way, it's pretty incredible. I mean, it does like to be kind of violent and cruel, which is weird in a way, because while I don't really care for monkeys, like macaques tend to, the Japanese macaque anyway, tends to consume mostly veggies, fungi and the occasional invertebrate it doesn't show a lot of the similar violent tendencies that some of their cousins do they they tend to be pretty chill they also know how to bathe in the hot springs which was something i believe that was learned i think that was a learned behavior as opposed to something they developed evolutionarily very cool creature to kind of base it off of as for the pokemon itself i mean i look at this thing and i'm like all right it's another monkey add it to the pile like, we, there's a lot of monkey Pokemon. We all know the bit. Like, there, there's a ton of them. But I will say, making a fast, psychically powered monkey, I'm, I'm glad they actually give, like, how many of the primate Pokemon are actually fast? Most of them are pretty slow, right? I'm not crazy. Uh, Passimian is fast. Orangaroo is not fast. Yeah, I guess, yeah, Galardarm is fast. A primate is not that fast. No, actually. he's slow. He's on Trick Room teams. No, but 106 speed... I mean, a lot of people forget how, yes, they're super smart, but they're also incredibly agile creatures. Even without the tail, the macaques are very capable of outrunning just about anybody they need to in order to survive. They're pretty cool animals on their own. Again, not the biggest fan, but I'm pretty cool with this Pokemon existing. And like you mentioned before, Chris, its brain is getting powered up, but all the darker tendencies are coming out. I would like to imagine that without this, it would be using its brain to try and, you know, have tool usage. But instead um keeps to itself somewhere safe where it toys with its foes so not great what would we consider good base speed good base speed right now or just in general in general well i think it depends because right right now um basically like ogre pond is really popular and it's fast um i'm i'm asking because i'm trying to decide if we're going to classify rillaboom as fast no I would say, like, at this point, I mean, if you're over 100, you're doing okay. I would say, like, if you're breaking, like, 105, because you start getting above some other things. Um, really, now, it's like you almost want to be, like, 110 or something ridiculous, because it's just getting... There's a, I mean, everything's fast right now. I mean, it beats the Alolan version of speed. I'll tell you that much. I remember those days. Yeah, well, especially with the dynamic speed tiers, things get weird. I'm trying to think of what the other, some other primate Pokemon, though, that are actually fast. Passimian, I, don't think I, think them, I don't think many of them are. Definitely not slacking. What about like, oh, Infernape. Infernape's got to be fast. Slacking's base 100, actually. Slacking's one of the faster ones. Infernape's 108. It's Song Wukong. It's like the monkey king. It has Zarud. to be. Zarud? 
Zarud is 100, I think. There's a, there's a few, but not a lot. Uh, Zarud is 105. 105, okay. 105 is respectable. All right, any case, um, monkey's down, two out of three. Uh, what's left? The bird? The bird. The bird. It's the word. What's the bird's deal? What is it? Pheasantipity? Oh, kill me. <laughs> Do you not like the pun names? I don't. Oh, I'm a Pheasantipity fan. is a good one. I like, I could, I, you, if there's any you should respect, you should respect Pheasantipity. Fine. You get the one. I will respect Pheasantipity. Someone tell me about this bird. All right. So Pheasantipity is based off a, you guys want to guess? Pheasant. Good job. Um, yes. So there's quite a few species of pheasants actually, and they're all um, Eurasian uh, in native distribution. Pheasants, particularly the common pheasant, which is also known as the ring-necked pheasant. That's kind of like when you imagine a pheasant. That's kind of what you see is um, has been introduced to quite a few places around the world, including North America. Pheasantipity is uh, most likely based off the green pheasant, which is the national bird of Japan and is endemic to the Japanese archipelago. Some people do consider them to be like a subspecies of the common pheasant, but they look different enough to me. Um, they're they're lacking the classical neck ring that you really see like very pronounced on like the the ring necked or common pheasant. I like to point out that unlike something like the bald eagle or something that was like vulnerable, these animals are still like a least concerned species. There's plenty of them out there, which is pretty good for a symbol, an animal symbol you didn't wipe out. Well done. Yeah, especially when it's like one that's delicious too. You know, so like really good job. Lovely. Not eating all of them. Pheasants are a member of the Galliformi family or order, which includes like a lot of your ground birds, your chickens, your turkeys, grouse, things like that. But within the pheasant family, there's quite a few uh, species of them. They kind of like, um, and like I said, these have been introduced to Hawaii as well, um, and they're doing well. And um, also in Western Europe, where they interbreed with the common pheasant, so the green pheasant doesn't really exist there anymore. Um, I don't think it really had success being introduced in North America, though. Hmm. compared to the common pheasant too much competition maybe um maybe i mean so like i said pheasants aren't native here at all and like they were purely introduced as like an extra game species so they maybe some of the the native predation and things like that they don't handle super well but yeah those they're a um they're a ground nesting bird as well so they can be vulnerable to um you know predation of like nest predation invasive species can be a big danger to ground nesting birds in particular um and like like a lot of pheasants their cry um sounds sort of like a rusty door hinge or like someone turning like a rusty valve that doesn't sound fun i mean it makes it easy to find right yeah and they're um they're omnivorous they eat like small animals as well as grains and plants um they're actually in uh the invasive in not the green the green pheasant i think it's the common pheasant is invasive in uh england in the uk and it's actually a problem there because they're uh they eat uh, the native adder, which is a vulnerable species. Oh dear, that's not great. I mean, that this one of the um of these bird of these um legendaries that have been added to the game, like apparently according to the decks, it's its voice that's getting the boost. So it no longer sounds like a a, a creaky faucet thing. Well, apparently it uses pheromones to captivate people in Pokemon. So. I don't know what is in that throat pouch, but it's nothing good. It's basically a, it's a siren. Yeah. And it's actually our second pheasant Pokemon. We already had unpheasant. Um, and it's interesting to see with pheasantipity being pheasantipity. Like we see very different um, plumage on it compared to the uh, unpheasant, which unpheasant, if you compare unpheasant to a green pheasant, it's actually much more close in uh, coloration, barring the little sort of extra head frills that the male has. But uh, pheasants are a very like clear example of the sexual dimorphism in birds where the males are very striking and the females are typically much more camouflaged. Um, it kind of looks like they sort of borrowed a few colorations for pheasantipity. The little golden head thing reminds me a little bit. Are you guys familiar of the golden pheasant as well, which I think is like a really, really cool looking bird? Yeah, I've seen a picture of it before. It is cool. Yeah, there, there's a lot of pheasant species though that are, are pretty interesting um they're kept as a lot of times in like aviaries and zoos as like a sort of a display animal yeah you see them from you see um these birds from time to time in like mixed aviaries so a lot of the places you can just walk into and see like 20 or so bird species so some of those are pretty cool yeah i think they're fairly um they do fairly well with um you know, sort of having people around and stuff. I, I it's I, they kind of remind me of like how you know wild turkeys will be, where they get pretty habituated to people. When I look at pheasantipity, either this is a male 
or if it's somehow like obviously they don't tell you male or female for mostly no it's 100 percent male it's already on the gender ratio so we know so we know, i mean that, that makes sense yeah it's so pretty i wonder what a... the i would love to see what the like the female version of it looks like it's just like really drab no toxic anything just kind of like what if it's just an unpheasant yeah that's what i was thinking it's just an unpheasant that got its hands on the toxic thing who knows Poison Fairy is a really cool typing, though. Poison Fairy is a very cool typing. I'm not... And also, like, t- t- I feel like it doesn't really take advantage of Technician. Um, So, it has a few. So, one, I think of, of the three of them, I think this is the best user. Well, so, first of all, I guess um, Monkey Dory is the best user of Toxic Chain because it has Frisk as its other ability. And now that we have to use open team sheets for competitive, it's... You have no ability, yeah. basically. Yeah. But I, I think this one is a, a could be a good user of Toxic Chain. It's got some good spread moves with Dazzling Gleam and uh, Icy Wind. Um, and it's got Roost, and it's got some decent bulk, especially on the special side. So that's kind of nice. Um, but Technician, you've got Technician, Icy Wind. Could, I guess, go physical with it. I think it's physical stat. Yeah, it's physical stat's better. Yeah, so it has the strongest, strongest wing attack in the game. I, don't, I mean, I doubt that's even true, actually. Scyther <laughs> exists, and it has wing attack in Technician. But it does have um, Tail Slap, which is boosted by a technician, and you could go Loaded Dice Tail Slap and get a little wild, maybe. Would you? W- would uh, Technician Acid Spray be okay? Yeah, that. I mean, that's basically becomes like a, not quite like a Sludge Bomb, but like a, a significantly stronger than normal normal Acid Spray. Um, I said the 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 stats are a little weird. I think like it would have liked to be a little more specially inclined, but it it can definitely do sort of a um like a roost tailwind icy wind dazzling gleam kind of setup um it's got technician dual wing beat it's got like i said it's got um uh tail slap which you could go like loaded dice. i feel like loaded dice plus tail slap plus terra normal probably does actually a lot more damage than we think it would oh you could also wait did you were you talking about disarming voice no i forgot that move exists because because it has disarming voice so you could disarming voice technician stab and throat spray does it get um draining kiss no it does not okay no, that would have been a good one well also if i remember right um aren't moves that are below 60 base power if you terra into that type they're boosted to 60 base power are so they really? arming voice becomes 60 plus terra plus technician Ooh. plus stab yes yeah, I mean it's worth a shot. I mean, all these game, all these are worth a shot. To be honest, I mean they're new Pokemon. It's a new, new system. We don't know what exactly they can do until we start getting them on the field. Yeah, um, of, of the three, I think it's might maybe the least straightforward. But um, I think they're, I think someone's gonna gonna have do something creative with Pheasantipity though. I like it as a mon. I like the design. Um, but yeah, I, I like all three of the the Royals. Loyals. Now, if we want to talk straightforward pain, we got to talk talk about the star of the show. Ogre Pond is a menace. It's all ogre now. It's all ogre now. Ogre Pond has taken the scene by storm. Yeah, that thing is going to beat the meta with a stick. Literally. Well, yeah, it's because it has seven types and abilities. Yeah, it's not even a joke. This thing is a menace. Until that new turtle comes out in the next one, and then it'll probably be a menace too. So the reason this Pokemon makes so much sense is because the entire story... The entire thing is based loosely on the story, the Japanese folktale of Momotaro. The story goes that a child was sent by the gods in a giant peach. When the family decided to open up the peach to eat it, the child climbed out. Was the child's name James? No, it was not James. Shut up. Oh my God. Is James just a Western Momotaro? Okay, hear me out. Hear the story out. Let's see how this works. Here those are. Okay. So the kid grows up to be strong as heck. And then him and a, hear me out, him and a group of animals go on a quest to go beat up some Japanese ogres. That's the story. The story is a kid going to beat up ogres. Were those animals a dog, a monkey, and a pheasant? Booyah! Full points. A dog, a monkey, and a pheasant were bribed into working with him because he gave them some food. They fight the oni, they overpower the demons, they win, and then they take all their stuff and live happily ever after. But yeah, that the whole game... The whole DLC is based on this one story, and I think that's such a fun little nod. If you're Japanese, you would know this almost immediately, because the story of Momotaro is like a very well-known Japanese folktale. There are many little art pieces and all this kinds of stuff made about it. So I can't believe that like they would just be so blunt about it. And to 
everyone else outside of Japan, you know, the majority of the market, it looks like this fun little original thing. Now, the my favorite part is Ogre Pond's club. It's called uh, Kanobo, and you see them all the time in Oni artwork in Japanese myth. The fact that they also made it a grass type is a great reference to Momotaro being born from a peach. And there have even been discussions about how its face is very similar to that of an orange species found specifically in Japan. Now, all the lore aside, this thing is dangerous in the game. Oh my lord, what were they thinking? It's a monster. Okay, they were like, oh my gosh, nothing is going to be more breaking than Urshifu. And then they were like, bet. And then they throw this thing out there. Look at him. It's a menace. Uh, does anyone here with better battle experience records want to explain why it's so dangerous? Um, yeah, so one, it's, what's its base speed? It's fast. Um, yeah, base 110. Like I said, 110, you're officially fast. Congratulations. Base 110 speed with 120 attack is is very respectable offenses. Grass is a really, really good typing to have if you have follow me, which this does, because you can redirect um, things like Amoongus' spores without being spored yourself. Generally, not having having to give up your item slot for the mask could be detrimental. But when you have basically four abilities that are all good, um, that sort of works out. Like Ogre Pond is just so versatile. Um, so the grass form you have Defiant, so uh, you know always a good ability to have. Um, and your signature move Ivy Cudgel, you um is a base one hundred move of whichever type of mask you're holding. So you all have a very consistent strong grass move. Um, you have Spiky Shield, which is just better protect. You have Encore, you have U-Turn, you have Stomping Tantrum, you have Superpower, you have Low Kick, you have Grassy Glide, you have Play Rough, you have Swords Dance, you have Horn Leech, you have so many, so many excellent, you can go Swords Dance, Horns Leech, um, and that's just the grassy one. Like, you can go, like, Ogre Pond Wellspring, you get, um, you become Grass Water, when you tear it to a full water type, you get a special defense boost, you can be a little more defensively oriented, you can have a water grass coverage is good, um, Ogre Pond, the Fire Form. Heart Flame Mask, you get a physical attack boost. And like I said, Ivy Cudgel then becomes a you know a plus one fire move. You get the Terra boost on it, and it has an increased critical hit chance. That's pretty sweet. It's the grass fire type we deserve. Yeah, the rock form is also really I think the rock form is really good as well because it has sturdy. So you basically have a built-in focus sash. Um, which again on a redirection Pokemon is incredible. And because you're part grass, the most common previous redirector Pokemon, Amoongus, who loves to click Rage Powder, um, you just say no to the Rage Powder, and you just you know slap whatever's next to Amoongus. I think it's the Hearth Flame Mask that's the most dangerous on account that it gets Mold Breaker, and there's like grass Heatrans running around. Yeah, so the Hearth Flame, but once you Terra, just as a reminder, because it's something that I, you get the you switch uh, to Embody aspect, and you no longer have Mold Breaker. I learned that firsthand. I have learned that several times. But, um, yeah, I, I think the fire one's very good. Um, I recently have been really liking the stone mask for the um, set having sturdy. And also stone mask just beats fire mask one every time. Wait, so if you if you tear it, it just gets stronger in Hearth Flame? So, yeah, if you tear it, they, their abilities change. They become embody aspect instead of, like, you know, mold breaker, defiant, water absorb, whatever. Um, and the heart one, if you tear it, it gets um, its attack stat is boosted. So like that that base, what is it, 120 attack ends, ends up being a whole lot higher. All, honestly, they all do. The grass one, uh, if it terras, which the grass one can actually hold other items as well. You have defiant, so you terra and you get a speed boost, and you can still have another item. So that's also like it, you can stack a lot of multipliers on Ogre Pond very fast. Um, and I the sturdy one I just like is you can run it with something like um. You know, let's say uh, Chain Pow, and you've got base. You run it with Sash Chain Pow, and you basically have two f very, very powerful physical attackers, both of which have focus sashes. Uh, wait, Don. Quick question: Can other Pokemon hold the masks? If they do, it doesn't. If they can, it doesn't do anything. So, could you Terra one lose the mask and then have another Pokemon switcheroo you a new mask? I don't think so. Give yourself a, like a speed boost and then go like Hearth Flame. That would be a menace move. Um, I do. You do get Trailblaze, so you can boost your own speed. This thing is stacked. It has a lot of excellent. Also, again, you get Grassy Glide, so you could also just you know Terrifier, get the speed boost, and just also have a Rillaboom on your team, which is also very good. And then just click 
giant grassy glide. I did find one thing just now that kind of makes this Pokemon suck a little bit. It's shiny is terrible. Yeah, it's shiny. The face just turns green. An unripe peach. Pretty. It's an unripe orange. Because again, it, they, they decided to go with an orange face instead of a pink one. But yeah, I don't know. It's a monster. And I look forward to seeing it literally cudgel everyone to death. And at least till the turtle shows up. We don't know what that thing's going to do. In any case, I'm pretty sold on this DLC. I think it's did. I think they did well. I like the Pokemon they introduced. I like the shakeup to the meta. It's not completely falling apart. I think hopefully when the Switch 2 or whatever comes out, it'll run even better. But I'm happy with what came out. I'd say this is in it appears to be keeping with a trend in that this is a like very very small initial DLC with DLC with a little bit more meat coming second. But I feel that there was more in this than there was in Isle of Armor because Isle of Armor was just fight mustard, take some photos with Cub Fu around the island and call it a day. Yeah, but I think it did well. Well, anyone else have any last things to add? I will say coming up, Lucas, we have our October month, which Don and I, for our listeners, are very big fans of horror and spooky time in general. So we are going to be having some spooky time episodes coming up in our, for our two episodes in October. I swear to God, if it's just Rain of Fire, I swear to God. Rain of Fire is not a horror movie, Lucas. Uh, well, on that note, thank you all so much for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day or night. We'll see you guys in the next one. Bye, everybody. Bye.